I want to jump right into the message this morning. I'm excited to get to speak with you guys. Pastors Lawrence and Tracy are out traveling with their family today, uh, spending some time uh, together this weekend. So I want to jump right in, and we're talking about abundant life. Uh, and I want to talk to you a little bit about discipling. So John 10.10 10 tells, tells us this. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest. I think so often we get caught up in this idea that, you know, if we can just accept Jesus and make it to heaven, survive this life, then one day we'll get to perfection, right? That's not what we were created for. There's nothing about God's creating you that is survive until one day we can be together. That's not the gospel. It's really not. When Jesus came and he shared and he spoke, what did he say regularly? I have, he came, what? To bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Now, this is the thing that I want us to really get as we jump in this morning. I think so often we get this idea, and, and I don't mean this to criticize, um, but when we talk about sharing the gospel, I think we've reduced the gospel to being the fact that Jesus came, he lived, he died, and rose again. That is sharing the gospel, okay? But do you realize Jesus came and preached the gospel? He gave the Great Commission, and often we're like, the Great Commission, go preach the gospel. Okay, well, what is that then? Because if Jesus told the disciples to go preach the gospel, and we often reference the Great Commission as preaching the gospel, we've got to realize Jesus hadn't died yet. He hadn't rose again yet. So the gospel cannot be limited to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus if that hadn't happened yet. Yes, he was saying that he was here. He was declaring that he was the Messiah, and that is a portion of it. But we've got to look at Matthew 28, 19 and 20 for this. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all, that I have, all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you until the end of the age. So the Great Commission isn't just go tell people Jesus came and he died for you. The Great Commission is go out and make disciples and let them know that Jesus is always with you. See, I think that's really important because we limit the gospel often to this salvation prayer and the truth of it. It's far more than that. I don't know about you, but anybody realize if you're saved, <laughs> once you said the prayer, life's not all fixed now. If Jesus' ultimate goal was for you to pray a prayer and get to heaven, he would take you after you prayed it. That's not the way it works. We prayed the prayer, and it's like, great, now you've entered into a relationship. Now we put in the work, right? It's kind of like a marriage, right? You got married at one time. There's a day, there's an event, there's an hour where you got in front of everyone and you publicly declared, this person I am giving my life to, right? Then the work began. Now we build a life together. Can we be honest for a moment? Now we have some really great days. Now we have some not so great days. That's life. But when we reduce the gospel to, man, if I can just get people to say a prayer, great. You got them there. Now what? No, make disciples. There's more to it than praying a prayer. Now we've got to begin to live it. Now we begin to walk it out. Now we begin to do this together. 
See, this is the thing that I think is the biggest mistake that we make as Christians, and it's trying to think that we can do this alone. Do you realize when God created everything, let's jump back to Genesis, when God created everything, he created the universe and looked at it, and what did he say? It's good. Created everything on earth and looks at it, and what does he say? It's good. The first time God ever says something is not good, what is he referencing? It is not good for man to be alone. Everything he created, he looked at and said, man, this is amazing. This is amazing. You're great, but you can't be by yourself. You were created for relationship. It's literally in the design of how you were formed and made, yet we try to walk through this life thinking I can do it on my own. We put up a front. We walk in the doors. Can I just get on a soapbox for a moment? We walk in the doors of church and we walk past people and we've had the worst morning possible. We get here, you have almost killed your children getting them through the door. And the first person you meet at the door, you see Rosalie, good morning. Good morning, how are you? It's great. Liar. It's not great. I am here and we are all alive. And that is good because that means I'm not going to prison today, but that's about as good as it gets right now. Don't get me wrong. There's great mornings too, but we've all had those mornings. That's why everybody in the room is laughing. We've all been there. It's okay to be honest. We walk by people and how many of us have walked past somebody and just said, hey, how's it going? You didn't even stop for a response. You didn't actually care how it was going. How many of you have been like, hey, how's it going? And they're like, oh, well. And they're like, oh, you're talking. My bad. Right? Like there was no anticipation of a response whatsoever. We live our life like that often. Man, I just want a relationship. I just need good community. You do? How are things going? I love the people in my life. They're amazing. They're always there for me. They don't even know what's going on. Well, Pastor Chris, why are you talking about all this relational stuff? I thought you were talking about discipleship. I am. Because we make discipleship so much more complicated than what it truly is. Jesus made disciples. Let's look at Jesus' life. That's the best example we can have. What did Jesus do to make disciples? He went to people and said, hey, come with me. And they lived life alongside each other, watching what each other did, encouraging each other in the face. In the faith, not in the face. Maybe Peter, I don't know, right? But they encouraged each other in the faith. They were walking this out together. There's three things I want you to get about discipleship. It's not as hard as you make it. I think so many times it's like, I've got to find the greatest teacher I can get under and learn and be discipled. And where? Show me that. Where does Jesus tell the disciples, go find the greatest teacher of the law that you can find? I mean, they did. They were sitting under him. Right? But that wasn't the command. The command was what? Come live with me. Go with me. And he says what? Let's go on. Second thing, this is really important. You can't grow with someone who doesn't want to grow. Anybody ever had a, somebody, I'm going to use a churchy word. Anybody ever had an accountability partner that was just as messed up as you were? 
right? It's like, I'm going to call them. They're going to be my accountable. They're going to keep me accountable. We've got the same issues, the same addictions, and the same struggles, but we're going to keep each other from doing it. Yeah, how'd that work out? Never worked out well for me. I'm just going to be honest, right? You got to have somebody that wants to go there with you. (laughs) I'm going to tamper a minute. Spouses, you can't make anyone go there. You can love them, and you can serve them, but they've got to make the decision to go there with you. There is far too often that we try to force a spouse or a loved one to be something that we want them to be with great intentions and a great heart, but I hate to break it to you. You're never going to beat anyone into salvation. In fact, the Bible teaches us it's the grace of God that leads us to repentance. It's our overwhelming grace in the face of adversity and things that are going wrong that draws us in to a deeper place of knowing who he is. You really want to show people Jesus? Great. Love them. Oh, but Pastor Chris, oh, but love them. That's it. Third thing I want you to get. Discipleship is not as much about calling people out as it is about calling people up. This is one of my biggest problems. I said earlier, churchy or it's really not all that churchy, but, you know, accountability partners. The reason I have an aversion personally to that language is because I remember as a kid, like, you got to get an accountability partner. It's the person you go to every time you messed up, right? And, like, you send each other. We're going to keep each other accountable. What does that look like? It's a text. It's a phone call. Did you screw up this week? I mean, tell the truth. Did you tell the truth? Did you do it? Right? Like, that's accountability. That's not discipleship. Can we be honest for a moment? How many of you guys have had somebody in your life that you're like, I want them to keep me accountable, and all they do is ask if you messed up, and you stop telling them the truth? Or you start avoiding them altogether? Why? Because nobody wants somebody in their life that all they do is call you out. Now, don't misunderstand me. You want somebody with a true relationship, then they better be able to get in your face and they better better be able to call you out. But the reason they have the ability to do that is because before they called you out, they called you up. Let me explain a little bit more of what I mean. Here's a great example of it. Anybody ever meet someone new and you walk away and realize you've got something stuck in your teeth, right? You have, your friend introduces you, maybe your spouse introduces you, ladies. Your husband introduces you to somebody, you walk away, and you got lipstick on your teeth, and you're like, why did you not tell me, right? Let me ask you a question. How many times has that ever played out where you went back to the person you just met and been like, what is your problem? Why did you not tell me I got something in my teeth? Nobody, ever. Why? Because the person lacking relationship is not the person that you expect to call you out on your issue. Discipleship is about building a relationship first so that you can have an honest conversation about the real issues that really need to be had. You've got to live life with each other. You've got to have community. You've got to have relationship. You've got to be able to walk by and be like, hey, how are you doing today? I'm good. No, really. How are you doing today? That's relationship. 
It's the people that you call when something's going wrong in your life. It's being able to sit down and say, hey, I know this is going on, but I really need you. Sorry, it's a really long introduction. I apologize. I'm kind of getting excited about this topic. We're about to start preaching. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're right in the middle of it. I do want to tell you a quick story, though. There's a guy, uh, Pastor Kerry Robinson. He's in California now. Um, he's a guy who was monumental in my life. And here's why I want to tell you the story, because he said something to me that rocked me to my core, and I wish I would have learned it before I went into ministry. I will never forget. I was a first-year pastor, started doing youth ministry, and I was at a conference, and he was the speaker at the conference. And I had heard people talk about, you know, you people speaking into your life. You need mentors. I'm like, okay, great. I mean, so I go to the main speaker of the whole conference we're at. I mean, what's the worst he's going to do? Tell me no, right? I walked up. I was like, hey, so much of what you said I identify with. Can we connect after? Surprisingly, he was like, sure. <laughs> so we get on the phone and we're talking. I'm like, hey, this is my first year in ministry. Would you mind mentoring me? Will you speak into my life and help me figure out what I'm doing? And he said something that has stuck with me ever since. He said, you know, no. I was like, oh. Well, this would have been a lot easier if you just wouldn't have gave me your info in the start with, you know. And he was like, no, 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 I'm not going to mentor you. He was like, we can grow together, though. He's like, I'd be happy for you to call me anytime you're having an issue, and I can tell you what I've done. You can call me and tell me what's going right in your ministry, and I can learn from you just like you're learning from me, and we can do this thing together. And I was like, I like that. <laughs> That's a great idea. Ten years later... <laughs> Phenomenal friendships, dude, spoke into my life so much, but it was birthed out of, hey, I'm not going to teach you all the things that you need to know, but yeah, absolutely, I'm be happy to come alongside you and we can do this together. Go and make disciples. Great. Tell people your story. Tell people what God did in your life. Tell people about how much Jesus has changed your life. And then simply invite them to come along with you. Invite them to be a part of the conversation. Invite them on the journey. You don't have to have it all figured out. We make discipleship so hard because like, how many of you in here, when I said we need to disciple, the first thought you, is, you had was, I mean, I don't know that I'm qualified to disciple anybody. Anybody ever think that? Great news. You don't have to have it all figured out. Can I get technical for a minute? Jesus told the disciples to go make disciples. Let's start with point number one. They still hadn't figured it out yet. And not to get too technical here, but if you really look, the disciples were teenagers. Only one of them we know for a fact was actually over the age of 20. All the rest were believed to be between 13 and 18 years old. And Jesus is like, yeah, go make, it, make disciples. I'm just telling you, if Jesus is telling a 15-year-old, go make disciples, you're qualified. Can we be real? But I'm not going to have it all figured out. You don't have to. The only rule, only rule, and this is my rule. I didn't even see it in the Bible anywhere, but I'm just going to give you my rule. You ready? Pastor Chris's one rule to making disciples, don't make stuff up. 
The world does not need somebody who can fake all the answers. They need somebody who can give them the answer, which is Jesus. And when they ask you a question you don't know, be honest about it and say, you know what? I don't know. I've never heard that before. I've never looked at it from that perspective. Let's dig into it together. I want to talk to you about a mentoring relationship. Sorry, I skipped a blank. Discipleship is about learning to grow together. I'm pretty sure I said that like 48 times, but I didn't actually tell you it was a blank, so sorry. <laughs> Mentoring relationship in the Bible, I want to talk about two aspects of it, and this is Moses and Joshua. Joshua is one of my favorite people to talk about in the Bible, but I want you to catch something here. Joshua 30, or sorry, Exodus 33, verse 11. See, Moses would come, hold on, before I jump into the verse, Moses would come and he would go in and the presence of God would ascend on a tent. And what it, would, what it says leading up to this is the people of Israel would come and they would stand outside of their tents and they would watch as the presence of God would ascend on the tent and Moses would go in and he would get a word from God and then he would bring it back to the people. Verse 11, check this out. Inside the tent of meetings, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one would speak to his friend. After more, afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who was assisting him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meetings. Another translation said he would remain until the presence left, or until the cloud left. Now, I want you to catch this. If you really want to grow in your relationship with God, you need people that you're growing with. But you need people that are willing to go. And not just, I, let me rephrase this. A lot of times we find people like, yeah, let's grow together. And what we really mean is, hey, tell me the great insights that you know so I don't have to do the work. See, Moses would go and get a word from God. You're about to catch where I'm going with this. Moses would go get a word from God. He would meet with God. And then what does it say? The people would wait at their tent until Moses came back with the word from God that Moses could give the people. If you really want to grow in your relationship with God, you're going to need somebody beside you who wants more than just to show up and hear what the man of God heard from God. Because when Moses would go to the tent, the presence of God was there. But what does it say Joshua would do? Moses would go into the tent, and he would be in the presence of God. And what did Joshua do? He would get as close as he could get, and he would sit outside of the tent. Not until Moses was done. He would sit outside of the tent until the presence of God was gone. He was more interested in the presence of God than he was what Moses was getting from God because they both wanted an encounter with God. Do you get what I'm telling you? This isn't just about finding somebody who can help you feel encouraged. It's about finding somebody that you can get alongside and say, look, we both want to go deeper. Let's go there together. Because I'm just telling you, a conversation with someone about, hey, did you mess up this week? Yeah. Did you mess up? Yeah. That's an exciting conversation, isn't it? But you know what's a much better conversation? Hey, you know what I read in my Bible this morning? Here's this phenomenal revelation that I got. Here's what God's speaking to me. Is there guilt behind that? If your friend calls you and says, hey, this is a phenomenal thing that I discovered, you're excited, you're encouraged, right? I didn't read my Bible today. No, but luckily now you got an awesome revelation that you can take and dive into. It helped you. 
even if you messed up. Does that encourage you to get into your Bible? Yeah, absolutely. Side note, if your friend is the only one ever calling excited about what they're finding, you're probably the one standing outside the tent waiting for someone to bring you the word. We need to evaluate ourselves constantly. Are we truly hungry for what God's doing? It doesn't mean you have all the answers, but it means I'm truly pursuing and trying to find out what that is and where that is. God made disciples by inviting them alongside of him. You were created to make disciples. Invite people alongside you. That doesn't mean you have it figured out. It just means you're both going the same place. Kind of think of it like this. You ever seen a movie and you really love the movie, so you took friends to go see the movie, right? You're even more excited to take them to see a movie because you know how good it is, right? That's discipleship. I know how good God is, so I want to take you with me to show you all the cool things that I know about. Now let's get honest for a moment. How many of you have ever had that friend take you to a movie and they were so excited they told you the whole movie and ruined it for you? Yeah? Invite people to go with you and don't feel like you have to tell them everything they need to do every step of the way. You with me? Let's walk this out and work this out together. That's discipleship. Investing in the lives of each other. Raising people up. Calling people out. When I say calling people out, let me rephrase it. Calling people up. Because we are really good at calling people out. Here's everything wrong in your life. Yeah, they know that. Would all, anyone in here disagree? Like, I feel like we all are very aware of our own faults and failures. What we often don't see are the great qualities. We often are so hung up on our own issues that we miss the very things that God's empowered you with. See, I'll never forget when I was a student in this ministry, I was a great kid. I never got in any trouble. <laughs> Not true. Not true. In fact, that's the point of where I'm going. In fact, I was a student in this ministry. You guys know my brother. He's our lead pastor, for those of you guys who don't know. He's gone. So I get to say things like this. Uh, he's our lead pastor. He hired me 11 years ago to oversee our youth ministry. The thing that's so amazing about that is jump back, oh, 20 years ago, and he used to be the youth pastor of that youth ministry. I used to be in it for a little while till he kicked me out. Yeah, no, that really happened. That wasn't a joke. <laughs> he kicked me out of youth ministry. He was like, no, you can't come back. You're done. Kicked me out for I don't remember how long. And we had to come back and we had to apologize. Like, he made us get in front of the entire youth group and apologize for how we represented them. He ain't here. I'm going to tell this. I thought everyone in here with kids knows, right? I get up. I'm going to say I'm sorry and we're good and we can move on, right? I get up. I'm sorry. I didn't represent us well. Blah, blah, went through my whole thing, right? And I will never forget, I am standing on stage, and he lets me say my whole thing. And then he looks at all the students, and he's like, we think, do, we, do you guys forgive him? Like, I didn't know there was actually an option for them to be like, no. 
I'd have said something way better. I thought I just had to get up and be like, hey, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, there was a vote. I mean, I'm sure he would have, like, pushed it over if they would have said no. But I was like, you got to be kidding me. But he wasn't trying to be mean to me because there were a lot of conversations that came with that. And it was real simple. It was like, look, you're a leader in the room. When you walk in the room and you start doing this, other people begin to do the same thing. When you pay attention and you press into worship, other people do the same thing. When you begin to disrupt and do this, other people begin to see the same thing. He was calling out the dysfunction in my life, but he was calling up the leadership in it. You need people in your life that call you up before they call you out. You truly want a disciple? Great. Get in relationship with people. Live life together. Invite them along. Be honest about where you're at. But when you do that, you are inviting a level of relationship that requires honesty. Can we understand that? We can't say, I love you. I love you so much. I'm never going to tell you what you're doing is wrong because I don't actually love you. In fact, I will let you destroy yourself so that I don't create friction between the two of us. No, I love you. Here's what I see in you. Here's the greatness that I see in you. I want to help develop you. I want to help listen to you. I want to be there in the midst of all of your problems. I'm going to help walk this out together. Eh, Hold up. I'm doing all this, but that means this, you need to get checked because you got an issue right here. Well, that's painful, Pastor Kurt. What if they get mad? Let me ask you a question. Anybody ever get mad when somebody calls you out on something you did wrong? Stop getting mad at people getting mad when you, call, when you tell them an issue. If you really love them, you know they're going to get mad. Cool. Calm down. I'm still here for you. We got too many people in the church who are like, hey, I love you enough to tell you this. Oh, really? Yep, sorry. You didn't take it with love and grace. Yeah, because you would have. Never mind. <laughs> Backing off that one. Right? But we need to come to that place. We can have honest conversation and be real about it. But honestly tell people, not because you're trying to hurt somebody, but because you're trying to help them grow. Because you're listening to them, because you love them, because you know the context of their life. Last portion of scripture, Exodus 17. I'm going to paraphrase. This is verse 8 through 13 if you want to go read the whole story. But there's something really interesting here. Verse 8 and 9, I'll read that and then kind of paraphrase the rest. But Amalek came and fought against Israel. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us to go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. It goes on. It says that Joshua rallied an army and he went and he began to fight. And as long as Moses' hands were lifted on the hilltop, they won. And when Moses would begin to lower his hands, they began to lose. Now check this out because I find this portion of scripture amazing. Verse 13. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Let me ask you a question. Who won that battle? 
And what does the Bible tell us? Joshua overwhelmed. Who won the battle? It's not a trick question, I promise. Joshua, right? How do we know that? Because the Bible says Joshua won the battle. So who won the battle? Joshua. But who was fighting alongside him? Moses. Even though he wasn't living the battle. Some of you guys need to hear me because there are battles you will win. There are victories you will have because of battles you didn't even know you were fighting. When you really surround yourself with people who care about you and love you, who are praying over you and speaking into your life, there are battles they will help you fight that you will never even realize you're in the midst of because they are lifting you up and praying for you in the middle of what is going on. You were not created to do this alone. And so many times we try and we get frustrated. It's like, God, I keep having this same battle. Tell me if this sounds familiar. God, I keep having this same battle over and over and over, and I can't seem to ever win it. Anybody ever been there? But then when you walk up to people who are supposed to be the support in your life, who love you and care about you, like, hey, how's your week going? It's great. It's because you're fighting alone. Be honest about where you're at so that you can have people who are covering you in prayer while you're walking through what you're walking through. We serve a God that's big enough to speak into your life. Anybody ever get a phone call or a text at the exact moment you needed it? I want you to raise your hand. If you have ever gotten a phone call or a text at the exact moment you needed it, that is like 90% of the room. Let's just, for a moment, mathematical probabilities here, that's huge. (laughs) That 90% of the people in this room or more have gotten a phone call at the exact moment they needed it. Now, let's play the other side of this. Raise your hand if you have ever just thought of someone. So you texted them or called them and their response was, man, I needed that at the exact moment you did it. 90% of the people in the room. One of the best evidence of the fact that God is at work in our life is the fact that we can be in a room with whatever, 300 people. And 90% of the people in here are like, I just randomly had a thought one day. And it just happened to fall at the exact moment, at the exact time that somebody needed it. Do you realize the probability of that happening with five of you in the room is astronomical? The probability of that happening with 90% of the people in this room is almost impossible. Well, it's just a coincidence, Pastor Chris. I just thought of him. I wasn't anything special. No. God prompted your heart and put something on your heart, and we often explain the move of God or the voice of God by chance. I just happened to do that. I just happened to be in that place at that time. I just happened to send a text. It wasn't anything special. I just happened to think on my mind, so I sent him a text like, hey, praying for you. Did it just happen? I mean, can we be honest for a moment? How many of us have been in a point in our life where we are crying out to God and we're like, God, I need you with whatever we're facing or walking through or let's even go a step further. Maybe you're about to make a really dumb decision and somebody sends you a text and it's like, hey, I'm praying for you right now. It's like, "Mm." okay, (laughs) right? It's just chance. 
It's not chance. It's the fact that we serve an eternal God who is able to see each and every one of us and move in the hearts and lives of each other so that we can be prompted to help each other. That's why you were created for relationship, because you were never created to do this alone. Stop trying. The Great Commission is simple. Make disciples. It's so that you have people that you are growing with and moving forward and sharing the gospel, telling people about the love and the life of Jesus along the way. Last thing I'm going to say. Have you ever struggled in an area and thought, man, I really don't want anybody to know about this area that I've gone through. Most of us in the room have an area of our life that's like, yeah, you can know about all these great things God did, but this one, we'll keep it back here. Right? Can I just tell you something? Chances are the little bit that you're trying to just keep back here is the very thing that somebody else needs to hear because they're walking through it and dealing with it. And when we can be honest about our struggle, we can be honest about our failure and say, look, here's what God did in my life. It empowers others to see that God can do the same in theirs. Revelations tells us we overcome sin by the blood of the lamb and what? The word of our testimony. Our testimony is not a word we use a lot in the day that we live in unless you're in court which I know some of us have been, <laughs> right? But what is a testimony? Let's make sure we all get this. This is my closing statement here, if the band can begin to come back up. But what is a testimony? Your testimony versus a court testimony, they're the same thing. Do you realize that? If you're in court, what is it? Testimony is what? Your account of what happened. So let's rephrase that verse in a way we would talk today. We overcome sin by the saving grace of Jesus Christ and telling other people your account of what he's done in your life. I'm just telling you, that makes that verse a lot more doable. <laughs> Discipling people becomes a lot easier when we understand it's just about telling what God's doing in our life. It's that simple. I don't need to be able to sit down and quote Exodus to you to be able to disciple you. I've got to be able to sit down and be honest about where I'm at and what God's done in me. It's that simple. And you be willing to hear it and talk about what God's done in you, and I'm going to learn from you, and you're going to learn from me, and we're going to grow together, and we are going to get where God's called us to go. But what about people that don't know Jesus? See, that's the beauty of it. This works in every aspect. Because we can be saved for 50 years, and sit down and talk about all the great things God's done in our life, and it encourages us to go better, right? Or you cannot know Jesus at all, and I can sit down and tell you, here's how broken and lost I was in this area of my life, and here's a Savior who saved me from it, and this is what I've walked through, and it will want to draw you into it because you are walking through some of the same issues. And so at that moment, it's, hey, I need some of that same help in this area of my life. Well, cool, let's do this together. It is making disciples. Getting people to say a prayer is the beginning of a relationship. Making disciples is about walking people along the way. 
So we are going to conclude with this. If we would all stand. We're just going to sing one song real quick and press in. But let's not come to a place where you say, hey, I want to go closer with God. I want to really grow in this and then walk away. But I want to ask you, as you leave today, I want you to think about who is it that you can ask God that he's put in your life for you to go on this journey with? Who can you invite to be a part of your life and where you go in this next stage of what God wants to do? Let's press in. Let's see what God has for us this morning.